0: into episode number 74 here of the Huskies Warming House Podcast. I'm Noah Grant, joined alongside my co-host Nick Maxson just after 9 o'clock here on this Sunday morning in the middle of August. And we've got a bit of a, um, a more interesting show for you, a little more... I, I it's not lighthearted. <laughs> Let's put it that way. It's uh, it's straight to the facts with a lot of uh, issues surrounding the hockey community and the Minnesota community um, as well. And we're going to touch on those topics as we kind of move through the show a little bit on the Mac Moscow situation, some updates on those. Then the extra ice session is going to talk a lot about the Chicago Blackhawks and where their um, franchise and future lies in that organization. We've got a very quick Huskies Illustrated weekly roundup to touch on, as well as some quick women's hockey news to uh, mention as well. Without further ado, um, we're gonna get started with Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com.
1: we get into the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup this week, uh, some player personnel news around the National Hockey League, Uh, some signings as well as some injury, actually, updates. In fact, we'll start with up in Toronto, um, the former Rocket Richard winner, Austin Matthews, undergoing wrist surgery, um, was dealing with some nagging issues all last season, finally decided, you know what, I'm going to get this cleaned up before... Uh, opening a training camp and still put up 41 goals. Uh, he's out six weeks, so uh, going to be a little bit tight as far as the opening uh, uh, night here goes for uh, the National Hockey League, but um, set to be pretty close to being ready uh, for the uh, the 23-year-old sniper. Again, uh, Austin Matthews undergoing some surgery. Uh, meanwhile, Jumbo Joe, um, the ageless wonder, beard man, whatever you want to call him, um, getting a one-year deal with the Florida Panthers. This kind of surprised me a little bit. Uh, there no, because again, you know, for jumbo Joe, I, I think, you know, he's definitely, you know, well past his prime, but no question he's, he's trying to, I would think, find a team and an opportunity to win a Stanley cup. And in fact, he's, he's choosing South Florida and the Panthers there. Um, also the Panthers, by the way, Sam Reicher did uh, finally sign his extension with the Panthers after being traded from the Buffalo Sabres three years, $19.5 million in that package. And then some other notable signings along the league, uh, New York, uh, up to their young goaltender, e, uh, Igor Shesterkin. Uh, he returns for a, a contract worth just over five and a half million dollars per senior uh, Philadelphia, if they suck, you know who, whose fault is it, and why is it Carter Hart? They did napping for an extension three years at four million dollars per season. Uh, defenseman Neil Pionk with Winnipeg—it's a four-year, twenty-three and a half million-dollar package there from Jets and the Red Wings after being uh, acquired. Uh, Jacob Brana does get an extension there, three years at five and a quarter million dollars per season. So some pretty uh, good signings there, and a lot of money being thrown around. Noah, um, especially with. Uh, the salary cap, again, being flat, you know, we've seen a lot of big money deals uh, still being tossed up by the ownership and all those organizations. So um, and then there's some notable news here too. Um, other players receiving extensions go to Vancouver's Jason Dickinson, Winnipeg's Andrew Kopp, Tampa Bay's Ross Colton. He had the Stanley Cup game winner in Game 5. Mm. They're down at Tampa. Washington's Elias Samsonov and then Anaheim's Maxine Comtois also signed extensions with their respective clubs.
0: I think the reason everyone likes to blame Carter Hart is because uh, they should look at Chuck Fletcher. He's giving away those uh, draft picks and assets like candy. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's well. not
1: been it's not been good. But it, again, Philadelphia fans ask uh, you know a couple of other former goaltenders. They're they're not very, they're pretty harsh on their goaltenders. So uh, I think no matter who puts uh, you who you put in between the pipes here in Philadelphia, the fans either you love them or you hate them. Hey, I just want you to know it's
0: only game. You don't have to be mad. Anyway, uh, great Ely have reference there. Uh, great, great league personality. Not so much uh, great in the save percentage when it was a Philadelphia Flyer, but nonetheless, he got his payday, and that's what matters. And so did Carter Hart. Anyway, moving to league wide news, the National Hockey League Players Association did warn uh, yesterday on Saturday that unvaccinated players could lose pay. Uh, the players' union noted that, quote, unvaccinated individuals may face stiff penalties if they contract COVID-19 during the next season, cautioning that teams could have the power to withhold paychecks while an unvaccinated player is out due to the virus or if he can't play because of local regulations. So kind of uh, tying in that piece as well. It was also noted that unvaccinated players would not be exempt to enter Canada due to their status in the National Hockey League. They wouldn't make the road trip and they would have their pay withheld if they couldn't make a road trip into Canada. On Friday, a memo was also sent out that any team staff in contact with players must be vaccinated as well. NHL deputy uh, commissioner Bill Daly also did mention that over 85% of players are already vaccinated. Uh, that's compared to 90% of both the NFL and the NBA and 99% in the WNBA have gotten the vaccine. So a little bit of a interesting divide there between um, what is essentially a
1: business and their assets and employees within. So it makes sense though, Noah, you know, as, yeah. we, as, we, as we try to turn this corner with the COVID-19 um virus and more specifically the Delta variant that uh, has now been wreaking havoc in certain parts of this nation, Uh, there's no question the National Hockey League knows that the last year's model was a one-time-off model, that the league is not going to be in a position to spend the money or the resources to have bubbles, to protect players, and at the end of the day, they're putting the onus now on the players to say, hey, you know what, Um, if you're going to, if this is the route you want to take and you cause yourself to be out um, you can have your pay without, I, I think, you know, it, it's a very strong, very, you know, stern stance to take from the league, but like in the league lost over $3 billion last, uh, last season alone. Um, and the players, all the owners actually quite a bit of money and, you know, what the, the flat cap and, you know, HRR or hockey related revenue, you know, in fact, same reporter, um, Frank Cervelli actually from up in Canada had, uh, kind of report that even if things, you know, kind of go positive for the league, that that escrow balance though, of the owners could take five to seven years to pay off. And so the league is uh, not taking any chances. And I can't blame the league because they know that if, you know, they have games that are canceled, the games are delayed and all that stuff, they're losing revenue. And mind you, most of that revenue that they lost from last year is ticket sales. And they you know they need to have those games played. So um, I understand it. I think it's a good move for the league and, um, you know, you hope the players can on board 85% is a good number, but there's still 15% of the players that need to come on board as well.
0: Yeah. There's also, I read a report too. I think it was uh, the MTS center up in Winnipeg. Uh, they were one of the first ones in Canada to require, um, proof of vaccination before you go to the games, they're at full capacity, but you have to be vaccinated, uh, in order to go to the games too. And again, I, I know there's going to be people that aren't unhappy with it or or aren't happy with it. I should say. Um, But I guess when you look from the league standpoint and even these local venues, I think the MTS center, I think it's fair to say that that sort of policy probably won't be held to just hockey. It might be held to concerts or things like that. Should they occur as well, too? You got to understand it from a business standpoint. They don't want to have anything else shut down, because like you mentioned last season, if the NHL was a business that did not have fans, that they were just a Fortune 500 company, they wouldn't be working last year because it was from a from a financial and logistical standpoint, it made no sense for the league to actually play last year. So, um, I mean, you can understand the position. And like you said, hopefully players, uh, you know, do what they have to do to play. And hopefully this season goes
1: off without a hitch. Right, and, you're, and you're hoping so, right? So, but wrapping up uh, the, week, uh, the week's topic of news, um, kind of a sad story, uh, actually two sad stories. Actually, um, Ottawa 31 year old net Anders Nielsen is retiring due to post concussion symptoms. Uh, sweet last appeared in an NHL game in the 2019, 20 season posting a nine Oh seven, save percentage and 161 NHL contests. Uh, he played for six NHL squads. He captured a gold medal for Sweden, the 2018 world championships, uh, so they wish Anders Nielsen the best of luck. Yeah, he had a couple of collisions there in his career. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for folks wondering, you know, how can a goaltender suffer from post-concussion systems? Well, yeah, sometimes they're bowled over, um, they, you know, whether it's in the net or maybe they're all playing the puck and Anders Nielsen, unfortunately for him, uh, with those post-symptoms, um, having to retire. So we wish him the best of luck in his future endeavors outside of the hockey rink. Uh, but uh, let's go back to the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, Tony Esposito, the absolute famous hall of famer goaltender did pass away at the age of 78 after a battle of pancreatic cancer. 15 of his 16 seasons in his career were played in a Chicago Blackhawks uniform. Uh, he does remain the franchise's all-time leader in shutouts with 74 and career wins with 418. Uh, his number 35 was retired uh, quite a while ago, 1988, to go along with three Vezina Trophy, uh, you know, to go to his name. Um, also captured Stanley Cup in 1969 with the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, and that was the only time that he was in another uh, uniform in his career. So, you know, he was their backup goal center at that time. Uh, Chicago, then clean him on waivers and his me go rise began earning the color trophy as a top rookie goaltender, excuse me, top rookie. Well, you would be the top rookie goaltender too, at that sense, yeah. right? So <laughs> uh, in 1970, had, so had, uh, had 15 shutouts that year. How about that one? Unbelievable. Right. Uh, obviously very fierce, uh, competitive guy, uh, Tony O's, as he was known uh, throughout the hockey world, uh, had a ca- career record of 423, 306 to 151 51 ranks 10th in NHL history as in goaltending statistics. So, um, all uh, right thoughts and our, you know, go up to the Chicago Blackhawks and obviously the uh, family of Tony Esposito.
0: and welcome in once again to episode number 74 here. I'm Noah Grant like I had mentioned joined alongside my co-host and Nick Max and Nick uh it's a it's a great day in the Midwest I guess. I don't know it's sunny here. It looks like it's sunny behind you but last time I said that it was raining. So I mean who really knows. Um how is your Sunday going? I know you and I um I think we both woke up a bit on the groggy side but I actually have two days off after today, which is very, very rare because school starts the week after. So I'm a little bit excited to get to my vacation and you're the one holding it up. Um, I'm totally kidding. <laughs> you're like, you're like you scheduled this time, not me. So, um, but yeah, how is your um, Sunday morning
1: and your week going? Well, man, it's, it's funny you mentioned school because, yeah, a week from tomorrow for those uh, around the same clouds, uh, you know, campus. And I think some other Minnesota state schools, it's fall semester again. Um, you know, that's unbelievable. To think that, that we're quick. already there it's it's gone super quick um and uh you know just it's almost like you're in shock you know at this point and you know, i was driving yesterday noah i'm um, a little bit back from work and uh you know when you, you you can definitely tell things have changed when you set up the intersection you look at the time and you realize wait this it doesn't look like it's four it kind of looks like it's six o'clock now the shadows are longer uh you can just exactly. tell right there's just some subtleties that make us up here in the Midwest, especially even in your neck of the woods, that things are changing, right? And that means, you know, cooler temperatures are are on the way as well. And I'm not even going to talk about the other stuff. I don't want you even want to think about it. Um, don't say it or I'll see, you know, I, you, mean, you, be,
0: you mean the little sprinkly stuff that comes from the sky?
1: Yeah, that stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but then again, that means also we're closer to uh, NCHC and St. Claude hockey too, uh, in yeah. their, um, you know, bid to get back uh, to a national championship game. And, you know, that's exciting too, but uh Um, Again, their season kicking off uh, early October, I believe the second and the third, again, against a home and home of St. Thomas. So uh, it's just insane that, you know, you you think, oh, we're in the middle of July. It feels like not that long ago, it was 4th of July and, you know, I was up at the cabin and here we are middle of August and uh, things are trending as well, time to get the backpack ready. You got to dust it off. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I I can totally, totally see that because I'm going to be in the same boat in the next week as well, too, getting ready. We've got uh, our first two weeks, we're going to do IVs and IV placement and learn that quickly because we got clinicals two weeks after that uh, and we're going to be on the floor for the entire semester. So um, it's going to move fast, going to move quickly. Obviously, nursing school books cost uh, a fortune and a half. Now, say what you will about college books in general, in general but I, when it comes to medical majors, they just love to throw the extra price tag or the extra manual that you need in there. And it's just, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, the other thing that I was going to mention too uh, is the fact that uh, not only are we moving into St. Cloud hockey, I'm really excited because one, I think you and I are going to have a better handle on how to go through an, a season and a season that has a little bit more normalcy to the coverage as well, hopefully too. But on top of that, Nick, we potentially might hit a milestone this episode for, in terms of the audio only podcast. Um, we've bent over this number in terms of overall statistics, but in terms of people who have just listened to the audio only version of the podcast, Uh, If the trend continues and the numbers continue the way that we have seen, this episode might be the one that gets us to 10,000 audio listens uh, in the history of the show. So kind of exciting. We are just under that number. So tell your friends, tell your family, Uh, um, I guess, from the back end standpoint, things have been looking good this summer. We appreciate all of our listeners and the work that they do in giving us the time of day to listen to our show and share it with family and friends as well, too. Pretty exciting uh, on that note, wouldn't you say, Nick?
1: That's 10,000 poor souls' ears that I feel like we've wrecked. But at the end of it, no, again, we always have appreciated uh, um, the support from everybody that's out there, Huskies fans, Duluth fans, uh, probably Hawks fans, if they even care to listen. I don't know. Maybe they do. Uh, yeah. but yeah anybody that's out there of course uh, support means a lot to us so
0: yeah you know and when we started the show and, and we love our guests too although we have it we don't have a guest schedule as of yet for this week um too. um it, this summer has just flown by and with the busy schedules that people have had and things it's just been kind of a crazy week for or crazy time for scheduling i did have a good conversation with brett larson um brett had mentioned that he'll be on the show at some point probably about a week or two before they play st thomas so pretty pretty close to the start of the season and he was really Excited about it. Um, it'll be his fifth time on the show, if I'm not mistaken. So I don't know why he likes us so much. Someone must be paying him money or something, but uh, it's not us because <laughs> we don't have any. Um, hashtag Caleb Peabody. But, you know, uh, speaking of money and things that cost money, Nick, before we get into our trivia question, I suppose I could inform the listeners as to uh, my Monday night uh, that happened uh this week for those of you watching the youtube page you're going to notice that i do have a full set of teeth in my mouth but as nick maxson and and those who want to go to twitter at scsu hockey 91 can attest to i did not have my teeth for the entire week i i got them knocked out uh playing hockey (laughs) cutting through the middle of the ice actually happened right early in the ice session i was picking up a puck on the far wall with speed and the the entire group of Defenders was coming back across the grain and I decided to cut back towards the middle made it. So I should really, I thought it was a really nice move. And next thing I knew I got hit in the face. And It was one of those, you know, like when things happen to you in life and you just know, like right away, something was different about whatever it was that just happened. I mean, I was like sliding on my knees from the speed and I knew right away, I was like, yeah, something's wrong here. And then of course, put my tongue up to my teeth and was missing teeth and started leaking all over the ice and stuff. So, uh, but I was able to get in that happened at seven o'clock at night. I was able to get in at eight o'clock the next morning. My dentist was able to get me in and get me new teeth so I could go back to work. Exciting. Right. But,
1: uh, so quite literally you were spitting checklists.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, uh, it's so true. And, I, for those who also want to know the other two, so it's this tooth that got knocked out. The other tooth on my right side is also fake. I got that one knocked out playing hockey too. I was on the outdoor rink and uh, I got, bless you. And uh, I got, uh, I was following somebody into the corner on the outdoor rink when I was a kid. Bless you again, Dude, Mr. Max, and Holy smokes. I must
1: be allergic to your story or something. Like that. I have
0: no <laughs> idea. I'm not a very good storyteller. And if I do tell a story, I'll find a way to say the word interesting at least once. But anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, the other time it happened that we were Kids And I, someone fell down in front of me on the outdoor rink and their foot came up and actually kicked me in the face. I was actually pretty lucky. I didn't get my face cut. So as you can see, my, my lip uh, has a little bit of a scar on there right now. Cause my teeth did go through my lip, but uh, we're here. We're happy. We're doing a podcast. We're enjoying life, but just be careful out there kiddos. They apparently the ring staff found the other half of my tooth. I never found it. So, um, this is fake, <laughs> Give it to you in like a little box or something like that as a memoir, you know. You know, for those of you who are parents of kids, or if you are a kid playing hockey, just know that if you do knock your teeth out, my first one, it's finally fully crowned and fake, but at the time they reattached it. Um, if you ever do find the entirety of your tooth, put it in milk. That's actually what you should put it in um, before you bring it to the dentist, because that will keep the pulp and everything inside the teeth healthy enough, potentially, if you're going to the dentist next the next day, and they could potentially reattach it, especially if you have no nerve endings in there. Both of mine, I've had the nerves exposed, and it's not fun. But um, yeah, put it in milk. So there's the Husky's Warming House podcast tip for the day. <laughs>
1: surgery with Dr. Green. Anyway, so <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, speaking, speaking of things that were surgical or far from we're going to jump into our trivia question here, Nick. Uh, the trivia question did read as we move into week 14 of 25 of season two of trivia and the question did read the last NHL seasons are the only back-to-back seasons in which a full NHL schedule is not played, which of course, at this point, as we know, is 82 games per season. What two NHL seasons in history played more than 82 games and what prompted the change to today's 82. Nick, do you have any idea on this one?
1: 92 and 93, right? 93 and 94. Yeah. And the changes where they had those two um neutral site games that every team played a year that they were like, this is dumb. Let's just get rid of these. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: So, so uh, as Robert poser who won for the first time in season new trivia did note uh, yeah, there was a two year CBA in 1992, 93 and 93, 94. Uh, They had 84 games uh, during the season. So then uh, the following that 94 lockout and only 48 games, they eliminated those two neutral site contests played by each team during the season. And we've been at 82 games ever since until the last couple of seasons. So kind of an interesting little history of the league. And I thought it was intriguing, even with world war II, as I was going through, um, there is consistency in the seasons. Like, I mean, yes, there's changes where we've gone from 50 games to 70 games and 74 and things like that, but it's always been a linear, very consistent change. And then you look at, you look at last year and the year before, and uh, it's going to be a little blip, a little anomaly in the schedule for a long time. Um, seeing how that works so um nick i do you have anything else to add on that one probably not no okay uh speaking of scheduling uh we have the women's world hockey championships getting ready to take place here in a couple of days uh august 20th um from this time of recording and we've got some st cloud state women's players that also did continue to make their national teams uh for the women's worlds uh two more entries i should say uh for the Czech republic clara himler Um, a very good offensive dynamic player. Uh, She's going to be joining her respective team. And then former single state women's player who just graduated Laura Kluga for Germany, made her national team as well too. And then Hannah Bates, uh, who just graduated a defenseman from the single state women's hockey team. she officially signed with the Connecticut Whale and the NWHL uh, this past week too. Nick, maybe let's t- spend some time on this here, kind of quickly here. Clara Himlerova and Laura Kluga, two players that are going to join in representing their national teams uh, on the biggest stage, joining Yanina and Newland uh, for Team Finland. Uh, what do both of these players, uh, one still going to be in a single state sweater and Clara Himlerova, and one that just moved on in Laura Kluga, what do they both bring to the table for their respective
1: teams? Uh, Kluger brings uh, offensive uh, firepower. Um, she brings skating. She's actually one of the few players that, uh, at least when I watched, you know, consistently over the last couple of seasons, she plays everything with speed. Um, she's always turning her feet. Uh, she's always looking up ice. She's always looking to make a play, and she, she's looking to shoot the puck too. So for for Laura Kluge, uh, she's going to bring that that firepower, that tenacity, that you know, offensive threat. And then for Himmelrath, as we've said before, she is that playmaker. She's that person that's got great vision, great hockey IQ, um, looks for the right plays. Um, you know, is patient. Maybe not necessarily you know the shoot first mentality, but she's always looking to make a play. So they're going to be offensive threats in different ways for the respective teams, but always looking to um, add some of those apples uh, or some of those uh, genos uh, to their respective <laughs> st- uh, stat casts. So uh, offensive people—that's what they do. So uh, just a little bit different how they approach it.
0: Yeah, just very dynamic offensively. I mean, you nailed it right on the head. Clark, Laura, also a really funny personality. If you ever kind of talked to her in the locker room or behind the scenes uh, and just just fun to be around. But a really good hockey player, too. Someone who came in in her freshman year, really infused a lot of life and a lot of uh, potential for this St. Cloud group and her class moving forward. A very good incoming. In fact, historically, the best, if I'm not mistaken, best freshman uh, incoming class in Saint Cloud State women's hockey history. Clara Hemlerová's group—they're moving into their junior year. And then, speaking of junior years, Laura Kluga—a good bounce back and return, you know, to form in her senior year. She had that injury uh, in the middle of her junior year that kept her out um, for most of the season as well, too. So you know, seeing, seeing players be able to come back and replicate the, you know, the success they had Uh, going back to me getting hit in the face. I remember the next ice session, um, you know, when I went back out, I mean, there were some things that I had to adjust to just kind of feeling comfortable again with going around people, you know, that were flying around next to me. I mean, you you think it's not going to affect you, but then there are times, especially, you know, when you're coming back from injury that you, you tend to think about things a little bit more than you maybe thought about them previously until you get readjusted and Laura Kluge's readjustment period was very small offensively. She's a very gifted player. I like that. You mentioned it so well, she plays um, very good with speed and that's the biggest thing you want to play at the next level. You want to play on a national team. You want to be a better hockey player, you know, for all you young players out there, you've got to be able to do whatever the heck you're doing at the level you're at right now at the next level, even quicker. Cause that's just how you you have to be able to do things quicker. Think, think the game more quicker than anything related to your hands, your feet, to be honest with you. And then the physical part will come as well too. So um, we wish them the best of luck in the women's world championships. And hopefully Clara Himmler comes back and has a great season again for the women's team as well. Nick, we're going to move into a, kind of the sadder topics of the day we've got two of them one in the main show one in the extra ice and we're going to start right now uh with the one close to home the mac moscow situation we had a great interview a couple of weeks ago with nick hatton uh, of the rink live uh, go check that one out that was a great interview about the mac moscow situation but uh the driver 51 year old james blue of orono he was charged with four counts of criminal vehicular homicide according to court documents filed in hennepin county on monday um nick we've kind of gone through the story a couple of times, you know, a turn rated at 40, 45, 50 miles an hour, going 99 miles an hour. Um, The toxicology report was not great uh, regarding this 51 year old. Um, What was your stance on this as uh, he obviously was alive
1: and did turn himself in uh, to the jailing process? He actually did it twice, um, which is interesting. So we actually did it um, as soon as he was released from the hospital, which was I think three But four days after the initial accident, Uh, he walked right into Pennepin County Jail and, you know, they had not formally charged him uh, with anything. And for folks who are wondering why someone would do that, um, this is all at this point. This is a game. This is him playing the the remorse card. There is no question that he was the one that drove. There's no question that he acted recklessly. This is not one of those. Court situations and I'm putting in a lawyer hat right now. I'm not sure why, but anyway, um, but this is true, actually. Um, You know, there's no question. He, you know, he was the one that did it. There were, you know, multiple witnesses to it. The accident happened less than a block away. And so what by turning yourself in you know, even before you're charged, you know, you're trying to convince the jury at some point that, you know, you feel bad for it, that you want to cooperate. It can also be a situation too, where, you know, and this happens too, where the opposing counsel calls and says, hey, man, we know you did this. You know, there's so many witnesses, We, you know, you were picked up by ambulance, you know, the toxicology is not going to come back good. The speed is there. And, uh, you know, let's just and, you know, let's just get this so, so everybody can move on, right? And so that could be part of it. So mind you, there's two different counts of criminal vehicular homicide. If you read the documents there, you No, know, there's the criminal vehicular homicide. And then the second one is two counts. I believe it's no operating in you know, I think it's uh, reckless um, in a reckless way, essentially. And that specifically focuses on the speed aspect of it. So, um, you know, you have the, the alcohol, which the toxicology 0. 0.175 was the toxicology reading for those, um, you know, Minnesota law point zero eight is considered drunk driving. So he was over twice the legal limit, according to the blood samples that were taken. So that, uh, it's angry. Um, and on top of that, uh, no, I should print this in. They, I, for the first time, uh, Bob Moscow spoke publicly. He did a sit down with the star tribune, a local uh, Minneapolis newspaper. And he was quoted by saying this was murder quite. That was his quote to the star tribune. Um, he's not wrong. Um, the homicide charge does back that up, um, with these, it's, it's sad and, you know, uh, I'm not quite sure uh, that I remember the first court appearance when it's going to be scheduled, but uh, yeah, just a, a terrible situation. Um, again, you know, as the accident unfolded, there were certain. Signs pointing to what may have happened. We now have more proof of the speed. We now have proof of there was maybe some different things, and um, also all in that starch screen article too. You know, I should mention that they actually the hospital staff actually found what they called a a, a powdery white substance, as well as marijuana gummies, also on it as well. Um, so I'm not quite sure if he was you know had ingested any of that or what that white powdery substance was. Uh, but yeah, overall, not a great. Uh, not a great look for the 51 year old who, uh, he's probably, uh, you know, it's not going to be sitting pretty here as we before in the judi- in the judicial process.
0: Yeah. hundred miles an hour with marijuana. Um, another type of controlled substance, like you had mentioned, um, country road, um, that said a lot of people said it could easily fit murder in the third degree. Um, but, uh, we're going to find out, uh, September 8th is that court date that's going to be set. Um, it's just just difficult. It's difficult to have to, have to go through it again and, and talk through it. Um, you know it kind of reminds me a little bit. I was thinking about what what situation this you know has any comparison to. It actually reminds me of the Danny Heatley situation back in 2003 and i think the charge if i'm not mistaken was similar it was essentially one of them was essentially you know driving reckless, recklessly you know under the conditions of the road and the conditions of you as a driver essentially um but my question is this and obviously i haven't i haven't read any reports about this haven't heard anything any statements that james has made himself um and you talked about how th- the lawyering and the judicial process can be a game and kind of a step-by-step process as well. Do you think, and this is a difficult question to ask, do you think that James blue, when he turned himself in, do you think that there is actually remorse in there or do you think it was an after the fact I'm already screwed, you know, I have to go through this process or do you think that similar to when we talked about the Logan, Mayu situation, that there is some remorse to be had uh,
1: with this man or, or not? Uh, good question. In fact, uh, James actually can answer that for me. So uh, when the Star Tribune article also came out, I uh, with Bob Motzko and then uh, the Schumann, uh, the parents of uh, the Schumann, uh, again, Ella Motzko's boyfriend um, who was Sounds also cute. killed in the crash. Um, it was, uh, he was quoted by the paramedic staff that, you know, even before he was transported to the hospital that he was set up guilty. I did it. Uh, that kind of thing. What I don't remember reading, and this, this is, I, you know, I don't know if that means he said it or didn't. Um, you know, it, it sounds like there was remorse there. Now, granted, it could be a bit of both. To answer your question, it could be where you know there is actual remorse there. I mean, this, this, with his actions, he has killed two young people, um, and again, you talk about. Um, you know, I think what a lot of folks reading the situation are far, the immediate reaction is this was 100% preventable. Um, it was a series of decisions that led to the last one which that decision cost two lives and potentially his. I mean, you've got to remember too, he's lucky to be alive himself. He was not in a seatbelt. He was ejected from the vehicle as it hit multiple trees. Again, he yeah, collided the, with trees going over close to 100 miles an hour. Yeah, the, the fact, fact that he's the, alive is a miracle in itself,
0: right? The the fact that he was actually inebriated as as strongly as he was likely played a huge factor in, um, from a medical standpoint, depressing his organs and finding a way to keep him alive. Um, Correct. Un, unfortunately.
1: Um, Well, I don't know if you want to say, unfortunately, you know, just because, you know, uh, you know, we never wish anybody, but, you know, for, but I understand that's why a lot of folks do feel that way. It's like, you know, this, this is the the gentleman who made poor decisions and he cost the lives of two young people. And, you know, it's the, why is it fair that, you know, he he shouldn't be alive. It's an eye for an eye mentality. Right. Uh, But you're right from a strictly medical point, you know, maybe some help there. And again, can't even imagine what that collision must've been like, you know, uh, for everybody in that situation, but yeah, uh, let's go back to, um, you know, the, the whole reason for the courts right now, you know, and again, I'm no, I'm no legal expert by any means. Um, but again, you know, when it, the case is pretty cut and clear, you know, again, there's those, no question who did this. There's no question what happened, you know, we've we got the toxicology, you've got, you know, the accident reconstruction team, um, that, and they had pulled vehicle data from the Bentley that, you know, said that this was the speed, you know, right before impact. Um, that's pretty irrefutable for the most part. Of course, the defense attorney can, you know, try to, you know, put some doubt into those numbers, but, you know, usually in these, you know, cases you're, you know, the counsel for would be for Schumann and Moscow usually makes a call and says, Hey man, you, there's, you know, you can either fight this, which you can because, or, you know, I don't know how you would, but, you know, we all know this is you, you know, so for yeah. everybody to move, to move on with their lives, you know, let's, let's, let's go through the process. Let's, you know, let's handle this, you know, like adults and let's just yeah. you know, move forward. Right. So it, it could be that, um, you, you know, I, at least in my opinion, there's, there is both that play there, because again, you know, if, if you're trying to convince a jury, especially because at this point, the play on this is, can I get a lesser sentence? That's, yeah. that's the play um, that is, you know, by, his defense team, you know, saying that he turned himself in before he's even charged, you know, he was cooperative through the entire investigation, that kind of thing, you know, at the accident scene, he said he was sorry that he owned it, that he was remorseful. Um, you know, the sad part and- of all this, you know, no, is that it doesn't change the two lives that have unfortunately ended. That's that's the big point is no yeah. matter how remorseful you are, you know, the, the thing that the prosecution will hit home is just, again, how preventable this was.
0: Yeah. Extremely mm-hmm. preventable. Um, and I thank you for correcting me that. Yeah, obviously I didn't, I don't wish anybody dead, um, in, in that comment. So I want to make sure sometimes, sometimes when you're, when you're talking through and you're ending up a sentence, sometimes you just say things. And, um, I'm glad you clarified that for me because, um, you know, how I feel, you know, me well enough to know that I don't wish anybody, I'm, I mean, I'm going to nursing school, so <laughs> put put right. two and two together on that one. Um, but you know, the other piece of this too, and, and I always in these situations. I, I try my best to put myself in everybody's shoes, uh, including James's shoes. And when we talked about how the remorse might be genuine, or it also might be a little bit of posturing as well, too. I, I also think about it this way, you know, Nick, um, not not incriminating yourself in any way, but have you ever accidentally ran a red light before when you're, when you're driving? I think we all have. I mean, I guess I have. Or something something of that nature. And my my point to that is essentially, we've all done things that were illegal. In fact, I think there was, I read an article a couple years ago that said that we actually do probably about seven or eight illegal things, technically, like almost every day. Things that are illegal by the standards in which we have. Um, But how many times do you walk up to somebody like, if you accidentally run around red light and you walk up to the courthouse and you say, hey, I ran a red light today at this intersection right here. You don't, right? Because your actions were not something that ended horrifically, thankfully.
1: Um, can, I, can I jump in and clarify one thing too? It's one thing to accidentally run a red light because you weren't paid attention or whatever it is. It's another thing to purposely run a red light broadside of you.
0: Right, right, but that, but, but, that, but that's not my point though. My point being, we do actions all the time that don't end horrifically or don't warrant the need for further um, judicial intervention, if you will. Um, So I, again, I think back to the other coverage for some of these difficult situations that we've had, Um, you know, it might be a little bit of posturing, but at the same time, I guess I find a very, 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 very small, 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 small amount of comfort in the fact that, Posturing or not, it's at least on display. Um, and it's at least on display in the sense that he is here. He's part of that process. He knows what's going to happen. He's, for lack of a better term, even though he wasn't accountable that night, he, he is accountable right now in this moment. He is going through that process. Um, and he's going to have to live with this for the rest of his life. That's, we all know that. Um, and I always try to try to find some sort of light at the end of the tunnel. And I guess that's my little nugget is the fact that, you know, I, I do wonder how genuine that remorse is. Maybe it is 100% fully genuine and he feels totally awful and wishes he would have never made such a stupid, reckless and irresponsible decision. Um, but I just want to throw that out there, too, where, where we think about, you know. I guess it's similar to the Logan Mayu situation, which we had more information on that one too. That makes him a little less defensible in that thing as well too. But um, we didn't really touch on that. And I don't know that we will, but I guess, again, it goes back to the piece. It's like, is there, is there time hopefully heals a little bit, but is there anything that you can take from James's actions up to this point that finds you a little bit of closure, a little bit of solace, a little bit of something as we move forward, because at some point, we're all trying to move forward from this. What What is the piece from this that you hopefully take from this that helps you or maybe others move forward from this situation?
1: Well, you know, again, when anybody is, you know, alleged is the proper word, right. Mm-hmm. Alleged until convicted, right. Um, that they've done something this horrendous. There's two ways you can go about it. You can run from it or you can, you can own it. And if there's mm-hmm. one thing that he has done, uh, um, is he has faced, you know, the brass he has, you know, cooperated with the investigation. He hasn't, you know, tried to run away. He hasn't tried to deny anything. And again, I think the one big thing that we haven't heard and probably, you know, again, uh, smart from him, honestly, is that we, he hasn't really spoken publicly about it. I don't think he will uh, until it goes to, to court. I don't think we will hear anything that he says until that point. And, uh, that's smart legal counsel for those who know that, um, But again, you know, you talk about sometimes people will say actions speak louder than words. And in this situation, I think actions, I don't think they speak louder, but they do speak pretty, you know, pretty with great volume that, you know, he's at least, uh, you know, and owning the mistake. At least that's what the perception is um, that he is cooperating. And he, he is, you know, like I said, he turned himself in once before he got charged. Once he was formally charged, he turned himself back in. So, you know, he's not. Shine away from it um which tells me you know again that he's you know he you would hope there was be some remorse there but he's not shying away from the process and he's he's trying to make a, a really bad and horrendous situation part of which cannot be reversed but ability to again before so if there's <laughs> i think there's some solace in that because you know you you, you do get folks that you know whether it's caught on camera or whatnot they'll deny it till they're blue in the face you know that's just you know some people are like that and that's that's their right to do so. Um, and it does rub people the runway in this case, at least from what we've seen so far, um, he is, you know, going right with the investigation. He's doing everything that's asked of him. And, uh, you know, for everybody that's involved, I think at least this is still in the very early stages. So that's about as much as you can hope for.
0: Yeah. And I, I guess the other piece of this too, is we're going to find out from September 8th onward, especially when we get a chance to formally hear him speak at some point. Um, we're going to find out if his remorse does appear to be genuine, but everybody's going to come to their own conclusions on that as well too. So um, obviously a very difficult situation, difficult situation. You know, we wish everybody involved. We wish um, James Blue, we wish his family um, involved in this. It's horrible for them on that side of that, that piece too. Obviously, we wish um, the families involved, um, Mac Motzko, Bob Motzko, uh the Shooterman family, as you had mentioned as well, too, and everybody involved, just a really difficult, difficult situation, and something uh, hopefully that besides the end of this trial, we hopefully don't have to cover um, too much more, you know?
1: Right. And then, and Noah, as uh, you know, going back to McHatton's interview, the one yeah. thing we haven't really gotten clarity is, you know, if it does coach Motzko still want to coach? Um, yeah. You know, we haven't really heard uh, one way or the other. So, you know, you can only assume at this point he's still. He's still coaching um but again you know there hasn't been any at least there it wasn't addressed in the search article that i read um i don't think that you know that was at least talked on record per se um you gotta wonder just as as mick hadn't had alleged you know what's going through his mind you know uh you mentioned was it september was the first court appearance uh for james blue Is if i correct if i heard you right yeah september
0: 8th, um, and, september let, 8th. and let's think that probably about Probably about a month from now, about a week after that is probably when teams really start to ramp it up as far as like coaches are allowed to be on the ice and get things going. Cause like for the St. Cloud schedule, they're playing October, whatever it is, first and second. Second and
1: third. Yeah. Second and third, yeah. So yeah, well, so we'll see. You know, and you kind of wonder if, you know, like court appearance. Uh, you know, th- there's so innocent in nature, but sometimes the formality of it, just having to, even for Bob and the events having to face you know, to read, as you mentioned it multiple times, tried to relive this um head on, you know, in a formal study like that, you know, you just never know how someone may react to that, so um, as you mentioned, we wish both the Matskos and the yeah. and everybody involved, you know, just you know, the best that they can moving forward with this, and we'll, we'll certainly keep everybody with on the podcast is updated as anything new comes about or if you know as the things move along in the in the judicial proceedings will obviously update uh, the story continues to go forward.
0: Yeah I don't know six months ago that I would have ever said this covering St. Cloud State hockey but I really hope we see Bob Motz go back um, in a Minnesota uniform behind a Minnesota bench again um, because uh, I, I think that would be that would be awesome for not only him, but all of us because he is a talented coach and he he loves what he does and does a very good job at what he does. And obviously, um, whether you want to give him a hard time or not, does mean a lot to the St. Cloud community and I think vice versa as well, too. But that will do it for the main portion of the show here for episode number 74. We're going to move into our extra ice session. If you love that somber discussion, you're going to get another one here. We're going to talk about the Chicago Blackhawks and their uh, allegations and things of that and their investigation as well, too. and welcome into the extra i session for episode number 74 for the third time here i am noah grant my co-host over there um brightly bathed in the computer spotlight in which he sits is Nick Maxson. Ooh, how'd you like that? Would you would you call that a compliment? Can we chalk that up as one? Should I add it to the list? I think there's only like three of them on there. So
1: <laughs> I have no idea what to think of it worse.
0: Well, you know, a lot of people don't know what to think of not only myself, but also the Chicago Blackhawks situation and their allegations uh, surrounding um, what is going on there. Um, we've got some information from uh, 25 season ticket holders that were kind of pulled on the matter and some more information uh, kind of through podcasts and like podcasts between the Jack Eichel situation. And now this situation is where we're getting the bulk of our information from. So, Hey, podcasts aren't all bad. Ours is, but other ones aren't. So um, with that being said, Nick, um, do you, are, are you comfortable kind of walking people through um, what is going on up to this point through the Chicago Blackhawks organization and kind of where we're, where we're at?
1: Absolutely. So there for, for those who, you know, um, haven't heard, you know, the Blackhawks are under it. And it was seems to be an internal investigation. Um, a former player who was on the 2010, Santa the cup winning team had alleged that former, um, uh, former, uh, you could say coach or whatnot. Yeah. Um, Brad, Aldrich, coach. he was a video yeah. coach, um, had, uh, sexually assaulted, um, uh, a player. And here's where it gets interesting. Um, so Long story short, we're going to get into a lot of the details here, um, here um, as we go forward. But just to kind of set people up, um, the there was multiple folks, at least from what we know, and the the gentleman who's been spearheading the reporting this has been uh, by a gentleman named Rick Westhead. He's a TSN reporter. Um, he's kind of TSN's version of Katie Strang. Just um, you know, even he said of the Steve Dagle podcast, you know, it's like you know, me as a, as a journalist, you know, I covered news and it didn't really satisfy me. He goes, it's not that I go up to cover these things, you know. Uh, that I like to, because um, these situations are horrible. But I, I do find that I get, um, you know, uh, some life, you know, to try to bring these sorts of things that people are trying to cover up. And that's the that's the big allegations. That's Chicago, um, there are multiple people, including Stan Bowman, names been thrown around, that said that they were presented with what happened and recommended to get the proper authorities involved that it was shut down or shot down, I should say. And then Aldrich, shortly thereafter, this uh, was given a letter of recommendation um, to go, um, I believe, up to Miami University. And within four months of him being the, I believe, the director of hockey operations, he he left his post again with similar allegations starting from there. And then also then went to a, uh, I think it's a Houghton, Michigan, I believe, um, to a high school up there where um, joined, uh, sorry, John Doe number two. So another sexual assault built um uh, was re- reported that he did the same thing. So there's two sides of this. There's the immediate action with Chicago and then what's supposed to be the cover up. And then the bigger side of it is the organization gave him what's being reported. And again, this is all you know, not being confirmed or anything like that, but this is the reporting coming up that we know of right now that this positive letter recommendation by the team allowed them to be put in a position, especially with Miami university to allow similar actions to take place. So um, that's kind of where this stems from um, is that, you know, internally, you know, what's been reported is the Blockx knew the situation, multiple people, including the general manager. Um, there's uh, in fact, Paul Vincent, he was the skills coach um, during that time, um, has gone with Rick uh, Westhead on record and has provided, um, from what Rick Westhead calls, he's had a lot of off-the-record conversations, um, a very detailed synopsis of what happened in the events and uh, leading up to where the executive uh, uh, team was made aware of this. And from what Rick Westhead tells us, is that a lot of what Paul Vincent has said in the record uh, corroborates with a lot of what some of the uh blackhawks staff or some of the other people that he said he spoke to um it matches what they tell him so um it, it's it's interesting um uh, again the the blackhawks were uh have up to this point have been very very quiet about it um the nhl has been very quiet about it um they've kind of brushed it aside for lack of a better phrase um so yeah, it's it's interesting so, uh, yeah. there's a, there's a, there's a law that's in charge of the investigation. They have said that they will make all their findings public when it is safe to do so, or when they've concluded the investigation, I should say. Um, uh, but that in a very general sense, that's where we stand with the situation.
0: Yeah. Um, there's also a piece about settlements too, that we have to touch on as well too, you know, but I think, uh, when I go back and the athletic did a great job, Mark Lazarus and Scott powers that um, I, I believe it's Scott powers, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Scott Powers. Every time I read Scott Powers, I think of uh, Colorado College. But um, uh, the the term that was used in the article that I thought was actually a, a, really, good, um, a really good representation of this is tone deaf. Um, and I think that the NHL has long had a history, uh, especially in these moments of being tone deaf to these situations. Uh, and one of the things that was mentioned in the article that I think really stood out to me, um, and it shouldn't have because we've seen this process play out quite a bit when it comes to a lot of these things. Um, And and the quote uh, comes from someone in the, in the article and it says you might see a public outcry, but when the corporate partner and pocketbook is impacted in a significant way, that's historically, when you see organizations try to rise to make the best decisions, that's a painful thing to hear when you're talking about a multi-billion dollar business, you know, and a thing that when we talk about hockey teams, especially original six teams um, it's, When you go around the hockey world, for those who aren't familiar with it, there is a lifeline and a bloodline that runs through these teams. It's, you know, and Vegas will get there at some point, should they be around for the next 50, 60, 70 years, where they're going to have hardcore fans that have been, you know, second, third generation Vegas fans. They grew up with a team, that sort of thing. We're already at that point in fourth or fifth generation for, for a lot of Chicago Blackhawks fans or people who have, who have jumped in onto that. And It is more than just a business, it is more than just a, a local coffee shop where you buy your donuts and you enjoy them. There is real family history that is tied to this. And I know it sounds like an odd tangent to talk about this, but you are accountable to as a business to the people that you, for lack of a better term, represent. And you do, as a Chicago Black as, as an organization, the Chicago Blackhawks. Represent not only Chicago Blackhawks fans, they represent the National Hockey League and the fans that the National Hockey League stands for. And we come from all diverse walks of life. And I think now the onus is on the Hawks, financially motivated or not, to do the right thing. We have been in that conservative medium for hockey for far too long. And let this be a lesson. For future organizations that find allegations of these sorts of things, Katie Strang has done a fantastic job with a lot of other allegations that have gone on the National Hockey League and exposed those pieces of that. We have to be better as a hockey community. Um, I, reading this article through The Athletic, talking about a lot of season ticket holders who have been through the Hawks through thick and thin, and they said this was the final straw. They're like, we've seen bad hockey decisions. We've seen a lot of ups, three Stanley Cups in the past decade or so. Nick, my question to you is this. If you're Chicago, you have to face these allegations head on. But what do you do as an organization to make this right? Besides making the findings public, what is their next step? And what
1: is the overarching lesson as we move forward for the National Hockey League? So a couple of things. Um, You're absolutely right about how, you know, any company, when you're cemented into Chicago and Minneapolis uh, why not, you are serving that community as well, right? So you do have an obligation to do what many of us would claim is the moral right thing to do, right? However, in these situations, um, that's not how these things go and nor is it the way it should go. And here's why I say that the Blackhawks, you know, when you're under an investigation and mind you, what if, what I left out was so the Blackhawks are being sued by the former player and have attached the high school um, hockey player that was um, assault in Houghton, Michigan, as part of this lawsuit. Um, he's not a plaintiff. He's just in as um, a figure in um, to the lawsuit um, uh, from the reporting that, you know, again, Rick Westhead has been so great at uh, these last couple of weeks. Um, you know, both these players have trouble sleeping. Um, the Blackhawks player, um, alleges that you know the Blackhawks had basically said it was it was essentially his own fault that he has sexually assaulted, so very much like victim blaming. Um, but if these the one thing you do when you're under investigation, whether it's a, a sports team or whether it's a company, um, you don't you, you, you don't put yourself on the gay team either, right? Um, you have you know essentially what the Blackhawks are doing, is what any legal counsel will tell you to do it is yeah this looks bad but let's let's you know get somebody else involved and once we make official findings of the of the facts that's when you address them so for folks who are wondering why it's chicago why the national hockey league it been so quiet that is why you know you don't shoot yourself in the foot you know before you know anything you, else before you walk up to the hangman's news yeah correct exactly so I, I get it. Now it, it rubs certain people the wrong way. Cause again, what Rick West has reporting, there's a lot of specifics. There's people that have put their name to that. However, this is still not been independently proven or corroborated in a public stance. As I mentioned before, you know, yeah. Paul Vincent, a former um, skills coach has made um, these statements. However, they have not been verified. Um, you know, again, what, what sucks in these in these situations though is that you have people that will talk but they won't go on record There's a, and, and this is you know very common um in the sexual abuse world where you have folks that you know they they want to feel a sense of I've been heard, they want to have a sense that you know this has been dealt with but they don't want to put their name to this. You know, they, they don't want to be in the public eye of this. It's still, a, it's a very, for lack of a better term, it's a, it's an embarrassing thing to be a part of in their mind. Um, and mind you, that's not my words. That's a lot of what uh, sexual abuse experts will, will touch on is that's the that's the phrase victims feel, that they feel embarrassed about being involved in a situation like this. And oftentimes that's what causes them to not talk on record. And so now you have these claims by Folks that go uncorroborated, and that does sometimes hurt the, you know, the way these things move forward. So you kind of hope that, you know, as this investigation goes, and again, um, it was an independent, or I should say, is an independent law firm that is doing the investigation. Um, I'm trying to get um, the name of that organization up because um, it is a local Chicago firm. Um, yeah, that I just performed to go Um, um <laughs> but at the end of it, you know, you know, we're we're not going to know or hear anything from either Chicago or the national hockey league until this uh, independent law firm does complete their findings. And as they meant, as they say, they're there, they have said that they won't be made public. Um, you know, damn well, as I do, um, that both the national hockey league and the Chicago Blackhawks are going to get first looks at this yes. before it's, you know, there's public statements made. Um, so you kind of wonder based on what they find, what they will address, what part they will make public. Will there be, you know, information that's redacted or kept private. I would imagine there probably would be in this situation. So, you know, yeah, there's an investigation, but how much are we going to learn? How much, how much are they going to make public? That's going to be, I think the biggest question facing what's next in this investigation is what do they find? Do they make any conclusions, right? Do they actually go out there and say, Hey, we've gotten text messages. We've gotten this and yeah, everybody knew, or are they going to take the, um, the impeachment kind of stance as well. Like if maybe this happened or maybe they do, you know, are they going to be that conclusive with their findings or are they going to pose it? This, this may have occurred, right. Are they going to be that um, forthcoming about, you know, their findings? It's, it's still a big, big, a big piece of the puzzle is still yet to be filled. And it's going to be very curious as to what they release and what they find out.
0: Yeah, Jenner and Block is the um, the law firm that's uh, doing that independent review. Uh, the other question that I had for you, and we had kind of read read and touched on this a little bit, um, the settlement portion of this, uh, as, yes. we kinda, as we kind of as we kind of reverse back to that. Can you kind of walk people through, uh, you know, the 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 piece of that as well too, and how this fits into that, um, and why? I guess if if you believe that the allegations are true, it, um, why the settlement option, you
1: know wasn't something that stayed on the table for the chicago blackhawks sure so first let's let's set up one thing you know and and this is now kind of common legal knowledge right and that is in a sexual assault type situation right the remedy for that is money that has been the standard now is you know you're not going to be able to um there's not really wounds you can heal um for the mental side, there are, there are victims of force who just, they, they never get over it. Um, but, you know, there's definitely therapies and different things that they can do. But essentially from the legal system, they said that the only recourse that shows that there's something that was done was, you know, uh, money. Now, for, you know, the settlement option, Noah, you know, you can look at it a couple of different ways, right? So a settlement basically says to some folks, Okay. I'm accusing you of this um, we can either take this to court or we can come to an agreement on money we can move on with it there are some folks who are on the receiving end of these of any allegations right that would think that by settling that the public perception of that might be admitting guilt or would be endorsing said allegations against you and there's no question that, the national hockey league and the Chicago Blackhawks were probably um, you know, in tandem in that decision would be my guess. Um, because again, with the league being involved, uh, they know that their reputation is at stake here too, right? They don't want um, a company underneath your involved, like the Blackhawks to be um, involved in a situation like this, or to make, give the wrong public impression, right? Cause here we are, you know, the, the public perception of how this has been handled so far has not been very positive for both the league as well as the Blackhawk standpoint. So um, there still will be a settlement to this, I believe. The question is, is it going to be one of those where both sides come to an agreement or is it going to be where a judge is involved, where in court and and it's a judge awarding um, damages to the victims, right? So um, it's interesting because, again, every situation is unique when it comes to these types of things. Um, But again, when you have allegations of this magnitude, I think still, you know, it could be where this is where my lack of the legal system is getting to me. You know, I'm not sure if, you know, these settlements are made public and then eventually you're back to square one, like we are in today, where it's still now in the public eye, you're still having to explain yourself and well, why to settle for this. And I think that's harder to explain that yeah. way versus going through the process I know some folks would look at it as um, you're kind of dragging it out, but uh, again, when you're made accusations of this um, and there's been wrongdoings, you know, I I think anybody, again, like we said before, you don't want to shoot yourself before you go into the news. So, um, you know, you want to, you know, be, uh, you know, uh, you want to be convicted first before you, you accept your, um, your punishment.
0: Yeah. You know, and and you wonder, again, with the findings, you wonder how far to the top it goes and how far it's going to extend. Is Stan Bowman, you know, going to be a big piece of this, Mark Bergevin in Montreal going to be a big piece of this? You never really know when you uh, my last question for you here, Nick, as we kind of circle back through that um, regarding the national hockey, the kind of the hockey world in general, we mentioned hockey culture in the beginning. Um, The hockey world, especially in recent years, is no secret to things like this. I mean, one of the most well-known documented pieces uh, in the junior world, Theo Fleury, Shelton Kennedy, guys like that. Um, You read Theo's books, um, very good, very, um, very harrowing, but um, very, very good um, pieces of literature um, to sit down and read. For the hockey world, and again, every time something happens, we hope that we're better the next time, right? Um, But it seems like the hockey world has been spinning its, its wheels a little bit when it comes to things like this. Um, what lessons does the hockey world take from this, from the National Hockey League all the way down to any youth development program? Uh, and where do we go from here? What is the next step? Obviously the step is to be better, but, but how do we go about accomplishing that? Um, if even at the youth level, if a multi-billion dollar industry can't find a handle on something like this?
1: So I think there's two ways to look at a situation like this, right? There is the, those that say, okay, now that this has happened, is there a way to prevent it? I look at it both from that perspective and more so, I think what has angered a lot of the fans that are out there, especially Chicago Blackhawks fans, hockey fans, and certainly the National Hockey League isn't happy with this either, is you really can't sit here and tell me that you can prevent everything but what you can do is have a system in place to properly handle it, right? Yeah. I think the big part of this story is, yeah, it was—it's horrible what happened in the Chicago organization, but more so because of the way it was allegedly handled. This Aldrich, Brad Aldrich, gentleman was given another opportunity to be put in a position to do continued harm, um, you know, after this incident. Um, and that's where we're at, right? And, and that's why this story is, is so high profile. It's not once, but twice. Like at you know, Miami University, um, nothing specific as far as we know um, of, yeah. alleg- of like specific allegations, but allegations. Yeah. Uh, but then in Houghton, Michigan, where this former high school hockey player, that's very specific of, of what a, a detail that happened. So there is. And
0: and you mentioned the Miami piece too, just quick for people who are wondering when we say four months, it was three months in the summer and one game weekend. Yeah. You know, it was, it was only that too. Um, And the other piece I wanted to quick throw in there too, is we're at that point where not only do we need that system in place, but we need repercussions. Should that system be broken, that match, that match the punishment, because we see so often where people don't aren't, following mandatory reporting, for example, and they get a slap on the wrist and it has to be something more than that. But anyway, continue.
1: But but that's, you know, I think why this story is as big as it is, is there was the way that, you know, it, it was internally handled. Um, again, as Rec, uh, Rick Westhead alleges, victim blaming um, supposedly members on the top brass, his reporting suggests that they were absolutely told about it and it was recommended they go to the, the Chicago Sex Crimes Unit. Uh, to get the proper authorities involved um, and it was denied it was like nope we're not going to do it so what they did instead was instead of containing what uh, a gentleman that had shown um you know to be doing horrendous acts upon other people not only did they fail there but then they also failed by giving him a positive letter of recommendation now to be fair i want to make sure i'm clear in this um i know rick had has filed a freedom of information act um, to Miami of Ohio University and he's gotten the personnel file of, of, of Aldrich and he's he's trying to file another one to try to find this letter. So far, he hasn't heard back from Miami University because it'd be curious to see if they did find it, well, what was said in that letter, right? And yeah. the idea is Chicago failed twice. They failed internally, but then they also failed to protect other communities from this gentleman by putting him in a spot or giving him what could be an opportunity to can do continue art. Now let's make sure we play both sides of the coin, right? So Chicago obviously is denying any and all that's being alleged. Um, They also say that um, they didn't have to report anything because they were not under the age of 18, that they, it wasn't a vulnerable adult or somebody that was disabled. So they didn't have an obligation to do so. And number two, they're also saying that, well, if this letter does exist, that doesn't hold us accountable to what Brad did in another organization, so they're saying, okay, well, even if we did send out a letter, right, that doesn't bear us responsible for what he did at you know somewhere else, essentially. So and, and um, is the, and is that
0: in your eyes, is that a factual statement? Because I mean, I think I think in its basis, that's technically correct. But again, you allowed the 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 items that were essentially I don't want to say premeditated, but it had already occurred you know, knowing the history of somebody. Um...
1: Sure. So there's three ways you could look at that, right? So if if, I, if you're in, if, if we, let's just say we, whatever Rick Westhead is reporting, let's just assume that it's all been proven correct that um, Stan Bowman knew of this, that upper execs knew of it, that they denied getting the proper authorities involved. And then this player, or sorry, this former uh, video coach goes on to do more terrible things. The judge could look at it and say, well, well, listen, had we had been involved, he never gets the opportunity to get to Ohio and then or to Michigan. On the flip side, um, you're technically, Chicago isn't wrong there. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know how you can directly link a positive review um, to it's essentially just a recommendation of just based on his video skills coach. Um, they're, they're technically two unrelated
0: things as far as a job recommendation versus personal conduct in, in some sense. Yeah.
1: And, and that's essentially what Chicago is trying to establish that there's the, the job and then there's, you know, the the, the person, right. And it's not our responsibility, what the person does. Um, but a judge could also look at that and say, well, wait a second here. No, you knew of these horrible allegations that happened with inside your own, Um, Not only did you deny proper services, but from what we're hearing, there's victim blaming inside the organization. So not only did you cry foul to the victim and blame the victim for what had happened, Um, you did not take the proper channels under Illinois law or Chicago city code, however you want to phrase it, right, Hmm. to handle this situation. So what by not doing so, the judge could say you perpetuated him to stay on your staff. Which then led to Brad either himself wanting out. I It's still not clear uh, whether Brad chose to leave or whether Chicago said, "Let's well, get him out of here." Right, but either way, you provide a positive review that a judge could look like at that and say, "Well, that also could be an endorsement of the person too," because if someone could be a great coach and great, but if someone's a you know part of the French a, a butthole, um, yeah. you know, I don't think you're making that same recommendation. So. It depends on how you look at it. It could go both ways. Again, while this has to wait until, you know, and, and, and again, we don't know what's going to be revealed with this internal investigation. That's going to give us a pretty good idea, I think. And uh, there's no question to me this will eventually find its way um, into Illinois court um, to, to finish it. Um, and it, it's probably going to get nasty uh, yeah. and considering what we have learned so far. And if indeed all that what has been reported is, is, is found out to be true.
0: Yeah, it's tough. I think Chicago in general, I think they're going to have a decent team this year and a lot for those fans to be excited about otherwise with the Onyx product. So it's kind of difficult in that piece. I think if, if I got to be honest and (laughs) this might be oversimplified, but my biggest takeaway from this is do the right thing. You know, especially as, as we, as we go through this, if you're a mandatory reporter, if things like this happen, you know, even if for example, you hear something about it and it turns out to not be true, especially if you're a mandatory reporter, there's a reason the word mandatory is in front of it. Do your job, do what you have to do, pass it on to the proper authorities. We saw the same thing in Pittsburgh potentially with Bill Guerin and that situation too. And that all the confusion that comes through it, if you follow the proper channels and do what you're supposed to do, the judicial system and the investigative services provided will do the rest because if not, you might wait 10 or 15 years, but you might still have investigative services that come in. But now you're at fault instead of you doing what you were supposed to do as personnel and as an
1: organization. So Nick, you had one more point to add there. I saw. Well, and just like you said, you know, do the right thing. You know, <clears throat> that's how yes, again, you you can never prevent everything from happening. You can certainly have procedures and different things and screenings, but it, it's still not going to prevent everything. But again, you can look at this from you know, a fan's perspective, and look at the Blackhawks, and you can say, "Hey, this probably wasn't handled very well. Had you had handled it properly, maybe we're not <clears throat> talking about a player in Hope, Michigan, or Miami University's, um, you know, an NCAA partner for St. Cloud, um, uh, talking about you know them being you know, dragged into this, right?" Um, and it goes to show you that what oftentimes when when things like this happen, Noah, yeah, there's a there's a shock. You know, if, if I'm a manager or a CEO of a company, I'm learning this. That's no question. Nobody wants to deal with these sort of things. It's, it's, it's emotional. Um, you're, you're trying to, how, how do I best, you know, do my damage control, you know, with, you know, PR. But I think one thing that you, I think Chicago and this whole, or, you know, situation is teaching us is by sweeping under the rug or not, it, it's going to end up being 10 times worse of a look for you because at some point it's going to still rear its ugly head, um, out of the sand at some point. And you're going to look like, again, as alleged, uh, you know, the story alleges that you, uh, you tried to hide this and you did. And then because you did that supposedly maybe this presented opportunities for this man to continue to abuse other people. So, um, and, and that's and the takeaway and, and,
0: and people make mistakes too organizations make mistakes too it's all about again how do you respond It it's, goes back to the james blue situation this happened what is the next step you, you can't take it back one of the one of the examples that i thought was a really good representation of this is actually comes out of the um the toronto camp the toronto maple leafs right they hired uh they hired uh who is it dusty emu um, in their organization as the Marley's school coach. And he lasted about two days until there was kind of a red light about his social media activity and his non-inclusion of people and the environment in which Toronto wanted to create and things from his social media account, which is no longer active. And that's obviously a scaled down representation of what we're talking about. But again, it goes along the same lines as, you know, organizations sometimes, you know, they miss things or maybe, you know, want to make sure that their facts are correct when things are happening, but at the same time, there are certain levels of severity of actions, even alleged for people in which an organization and a group has responsibility to pass on to the proper authorities. And I think that's the piece that we have to take take out. Because again, as we went through, if a multi-billion dollar organization can't do it, then who's to say uh, a peewee group in the middle of Oklahoma? Is going to be able to handle it any better if we can't even do it at the highest levels of sports. So um, I mean, I guess that's my other takeaway too, is we've got to find a way to, for lack of a better term, be an example at the highest level so that we can pass down how we should actually handle these things um, within our own local communities. Cause as we know, it gets even messier and messier. I think sometimes as we go through that too.
1: And one final point, uh, Noah, because I think we've we've I think we've we've hit the story pretty well. Yes. Um, you know, and covered it to what we know and what we, you know, what maybe is the next steps in the in the process here. But um, you know, again, you know, the mandatory reporting aspect, you know, for folks to I get it, like, and I think you said it really well, like even if it's alleged, still report it. Because here's yeah, at the end of the day, it's rare, but let's just say it is wrong. Right. But that's what that's what the investigators are there for to determine yeah. whether something actually happened or not. The thing is, by missing something that ends up being true, this is a situation where we well, now we're possibly looking at with Chicago, where something was either missed or, or it mismanaged and it, it caused, um, you know, a ripple effect of more harm that possibly could have been prevented. So, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, pr- and provided provided a, a victim isn't totally lying,
0: which I I do have a personal opinion on that too. There's there's something to be said for victims who who are just making up a story to try to try to out someone, and that's that's another piece of that too. But you know, but that's why like, you like, reported still, right, right? Right, and and like you said, most of the situations do end up where there's something, even if there's not something formally or legally wrong, there was something that made somebody else uncomfortable or something that they noticed. And I think you know, uh, on the lighter surface of anything even having something like that go through maybe might make somebody realize that maybe their actions weren't the most appropriate or things made somebody uncomfortable. They might be really upset about that. It might end in a hostile workplace where you have to separate those things, but at least there was something exposed there where two people had a disagreement or something was not comfortable between the two. And that was reported. And that's what it goes down to is, I mean, everybody deserves the right to have equal rights, be able to go to work and feel comfortable, be able to to do what they have to do in life and not feel threatened or worried or things like that. Um, it doesn't matter if you get paid millions of dollars at the highest level of sport, or if you're, you know, picking up trash for community service, the side of the road, you have to be doing to... a Sunday morning podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: So Nick, are we, are we good? Do we have anything else to add on that? No, I think, you know, obviously we'll, we'll track this one too. You know, there's, you know, these things you you never feel good about reporting these, but you know, it is, Mm -hmm. I think it is important to share these, these situations because again, you know, by bringing out, you know, awareness of what maybe has happened. And again, we, again, none of this do we know has been proven true, but pretty big allegations there. No, I mean, just hope that, you know, whether it's, Somebody else has been a victim and this gives them the confidence to speak up about it or for organizations that under, you know, for, for those who maybe encounter this, that, you know, it shows you that there's a right and wrong way to handle this. And you kind of hope by explaining through it that, you know, they make the right decision if, and hopefully not, you know, you hopefully you never have to deal with it, but if it does, then, um, you know, you can take maybe a piece uh, from this and, and handle it the right way.
0: Yeah. And this is, uh, you know, this is the first time that we've talked about things like this on the show and granted it is the middle of August, but nonetheless, we're a podcast that covers St. Cloud State and Minnesota hockey. So, you know, if we're talking about this, take note of that situation because it is something that is overarching for all of us. I, uh, and the piece, I mean, we've seen plenty of even title IX investigations at universities as well, too. That's just been really difficult for, you know, people to go through, but you know, you know, you have to make sure that you're doing the right thing. Um, with that being said, Nick, I think that's gonna do it for episode number 74 here of our Sunday show. Like we mentioned, working on a guest potentially for this week. But uh, you know, you never know how those things go. Who knows, Nick? Maybe we'll take a another week off before school starts. I have no idea. We'll have to see as we as we move forward. Um, but we'll keep you updated, we'll keep you posted posted. If you don't see an episode, I would say by Friday morning, it's probably not happening. <laughs> Let's be realistic. So um, but we'll try to keep you up to date as best as we can. And that will do it for Nick Max and I'm Noah Grant, and we will see you next week in the den.
1: Come in, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Perlix. So Dana Rasmuset fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies along. Kaprizov, in for a chance to win it, he scores! Caril, the thrill is for real. Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. St. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.